Uh, good morning. For those of you who I have not met, uh, my name is Ben Robertson, and I am uh, the campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship at William & Mary. Uh, so parents of students, uh, a particular greeting to you. We're very glad that you're here. And I want you to know that we love your students. You don't call them students. You call them your children. We love your children. We're glad that they're here. Uh, this is a, a community of, of people who love college students and love the College of William & Mary. So thanks for coming, and we count it a privilege to have you and, and your children here. Um, if you're with us for the first time this morning, you're catching us in the middle of a series on the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians, as mentioned before, is a book written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a church in a town called Philippi. And um, we heard last week about how Paul was preaching that, that God had begun this work among the people, that he had brought about their salvation from beginning, was carrying it through, and would one day complete that salvation when Jesus returns. And now Paul continues to talk about how the gospel is advancing in his own life and in the situation that he's in. So again, Paul writing from prison. This is Philippians chapter 1, starting verse 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can take one from the chair in front of you. It's on page 980 in those Bibles. Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1, starting verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak, to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Let's stop there and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the words that are written here. We thank you for your servant, Paul. We thank you for the church in Philippi who kept the letter that he sent and made copies and passed it on to their friends and to other churches who made copies, who made copies, who made copies, and we have it here, and now it speaks again, fresh, alive again by your Spirit. We ask that you would move in our hearts, that we would hear your word, that you would make us soft, and that we would leave, even in some small way, changed, because your word is alive and your Spirit moves. We ask this. In the name of Jesus, who's the only one who can answer this prayer. Amen. I have two children, Naomi and Benjamin. Naomi is three and Benjamin is one. And for about a year now, for Naomi and now Benjamin has, has grown up old enough to enjoy this too. One of their favorite cartoons is called Kipper. Kipper the dog. It's a cartoon about a dog named Kipper. We recently got a DVD out that we first got out about a year ago uh, from the library, and we've been watching it again. And the opening episode of the DVD is an episode entitled, Nothing Ever Happens. And the episode begins, and Kipper is wandering around his house, and he looks out his window. And the, the, the day was much like this morning was. It was a drizzly, kind of dreary day. It's raining outside, and he looks out the window, and he says, What a boring day. 
<sighs> and he looks down at his hippo, with this little purple hippo squeaky toy, which he calls hippo. <laughs> he says, you know, hippo, nothing ever happens. Not really. I mean, do you know what I mean? Nothing ever really, really happens. And that's the whole episode for eight minutes. Is <laughs> It's Kipper wandering around his house, picking up miscellaneous toys and talking to them and complaining about what a boring day it is and nothing ever happens. If you're like me, you very often feel like Kipper the dog. Uh, especially when you read from the Bible and you hear stories of, you know, Paul is in prison in Rome and people are coming to faith and you read the book of Acts and miracles and things are happening and you kind of look at your own life and say, what a boring day. <laughs> this is nothing, nothing ever happens. This is the real stuff in the Bible, but uh, not in my life. Well, Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, listen, I want you to know, brothers, what's happening with me. So that you will be encouraged in your faith. And so you will know that something is happening. That your part, your story, your boring life story is part of a larger story of God advancing his gospel throughout the whole world. Well, let's take a look. The gospel advances, says Paul. How does it advance? If you're a note taker, here's point one. Point one. The gospel advances through all sorts of situations. Through all sorts of situations. Okay, Paul, what's his situation? He's in Rome, as we've said, in prison. In prison for what? In prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He's been going around the world, and now he's in Rome, the hub of really the, 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 all of civilization at this point in time. And he is proclaiming that Jesus is God become man, who was crucified, killed, which was a shameful death for Romans. Crucified and killed risen again, ascended on high, and now is the king of the world, the king of the universe, to whom everyone must bow down. Caesar did not like that message, nor did his kingdom. And so Paul is thrown in prison. Um, now, his prison is not like our prisons today. He didn't have a gym to go work out in. He wasn't fed three square meals a day. He didn't have a TV to watch. Um, it wasn't a great situation. Neither was it torture. He was probably, probably not being waterboarded every day and, and flogged and beaten, though that would happen from time to time. We know this because Timothy, his friend, is with him. Timothy is apparently not in prison, but can come and see Paul and talk to him. Epaphroditus, a man that the church in Philippi sent to him to bring him a gift of money and clothing and food, was able to go and see him and share that gift, and Paul was able to enjoy it, enjoy the fellowship. So he's doing okay. It's sort of like house arrest. And yet at the same time, this word for being imprisoned has similar connotations of being in chains. And at the end of the book of Colossians, which Paul also writes from prison, he closes the book by saying, remember my chains. So it's quite likely that Paul himself is actually shackled, perhaps on his ankles and arms, we don't know, but he's probably held in the house by a chain. Not a comfortable situation. And we know that not only is he in chains, but he's awaiting a trial for preaching the gospel, the very unpopular gospel that will eventually get him killed. In 68 AD, we know there about 68, 69 AD, we know that Paul himself was actually put to death by Rome. It's a bad situation. He's in prison. And yet he says he rejoices. Why? Why? It says he rejoices first, verse 13, he says, 
that the, the entire imperial guard has come to know the reason that he's there. People are hearing about Jesus. People are hearing about Christ who otherwise would not have if he were not in prison. So he rejoices. He's glad. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And second, he says that people are encouraged. He says the brothers have been, have been made more bold, more confident in the Lord. Verse 14, by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, people are saying, okay, Paul's been thrown in prison for this and he might die. And yet his faith is sure. And he's rejoicing. Maybe I can be bold enough to speak too. Maybe I don't have to be afraid. Maybe I can speak that word. Paul rejoices because he sees that the gospel is going forward even in spite of a very horrible situation. He knows that his circumstances are not arbitrary. That they're not for no reason. That he's there for a purpose. And that gives him joy. Well, what's your situation? Unless you're listening in online, as we put these sermons online, you're probably not in prison because you're here. But certainly you have situations in your life that you'd rather do without. Some of you have lost jobs in the economy or taken significant pay cuts. And you don't know how ends are going to meet and you don't really like that situation. And I don't blame you. Paul would have never signed up for chains. Give me the chains. No, it's a bad situation. Some of you are single and you wish you were married. Some of you are married and wish you were single. (laughs) Right? Both very painful. And hard. You might be a William and Mary student and you wish you were a Harvard student. A real Ivy instead of the state Ivy. (laughs) Here you are, William and Mary. Wish I weren't here. Or you've been stuck in a job for 10 years and you're looking back on it and saying, why am I here? Why did I choose this career? I regret this. I don't want to be in this situation. Paul's word to us here, though our situation is not just like his, he's saying, listen, look at mine. I want you to know, be encouraged. It's not arbitrary. God is using your situation, your life, your situation, your circumstances, in part to further the gospel, in part to encourage other people. Look for it and look for it in the lives of others. Okay, you may say, okay, Ben, I can understand how God can use certain circumstances and that he's advancing the gospel. I understand. I believe that. That's probably true. The second point, you may say, what about these people in my life? I can deal with the situation, but I cannot deal with the people. Well, second point, the gospel advances to all sorts of people, to all sorts of people. Again, verse 13, Paul says this, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the imperial guard, who were people who were very unlikely to hear the gospel message. They were important people. It was, a, it was a, a position of status and importance and power and wealth. These were the guards of Caesar's own house, the imperial guard. They were the upper crust of Roman society. Probably not going to be interested in some fringe Jewish movement with a prisoner rambling on about some crucified king. And yet through the very situation that Paul is in, that is how they come to hear about Jesus. I have a friend named Andy. He's an RUF minister as well in Florida. 
And uh, actually, my wife and I, Dawn, we knew his wife when we were in college. We worked at a camp together, which is where Dawn and I met. And then Andy and I met through RUF training. We came into RUF at the same time, Reform University Fellowship. And after we talked for a while, we realized we were already friends and didn't even know it. So our wives were friends. Well, about a year ago, they live in Orlando in, suburb- in a suburban neighborhood. They started having problems with their neighbors. Um, Everyone probably has some kind of problem with their neighbors at some point in their life, but few of you have probably experienced this. They live in a suburban neighborhood, like a normal neighborhood. And their neighbors had farm animals, like goats and chickens and cows and horses in an Orlando suburb neighborhood. Okay? And these these animals would wander, of course, into their yard. And so Andy, who's pretty crafty, He puts up a fence. He builds it himself. The day after he puts up the fence, he looks out the window and sees a horse tied to the fence. And it's still, you know, the concrete's still setting at that point. And he wrote in an email, you know, this is a pretty good fence. I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good, you know, craftsman. But um, this, this fence was not designed for holding horses, right, when they pull on that rope. Well, it got worse. Uh, The situation continued and they discovered that the reason that these neighbors had farm animals is because they were sacrificing them. Literally. Literally. Here's an email from a, dated about a year ago, a direct quote that he sent to me. Sacrifices are going down outside my front window as I type. Wow. These are his neighbors. These are the people in Andy and Kelly's life. Now, of course, that's comical at one level. So bizarre. Yet it was a scary situation for Andy and Kelly. They had a small child, a baby. They were worried. They didn't know how to interact in this way. And, of course, tragic that their next door neighbors are part of some very strange cult killing animals in neighborhoods. It's disturbing. And yet God had Andy and Kelly right there. For a reason. They were able to at least have conversations with these neighbors. I wish I had the story of like, then they came to faith and stopped killing animals. And that's not how it went. But at the same time, it was a very strategic point in his life, both to to get to know other neighbors who were commiserating and watching as Andy interacted and tried to work things out. The gospel was being proclaimed through Andy and Kelly, even to all sorts of people. The Imperial Guard, Caesar's Guards, they were unlikely. They were not the sort of people that you would think that you would have access to, and yet Paul's situation puts him right next to them. And you have to wonder about the Philippian jailer that we talked about some last week. For, from Acts 16, when Paul first came to Philippi and was in prison and was miraculously set free, and this jailer, this guard, comes to faith through meeting Paul. And I, he... He had to be in the church when this was read the first time. And he had to sort of laugh to himself and say, there it goes again. The jailer's coming to faith. The guard believing in Christ. Because this is, of course, as we mentioned before, a missionary letter. And when we get missionary letters, we get excited, don't we? If you're a believer, you get this letter from someone who's in some distant country and they're just trying to get to know people and talk to them about Christ. And they send reports in their letters, little stories like, hey, I met a friend at the mailbox the other day and we got to talking about soccer. And then we're going to have tea to talk about soccer some more. Will you pray about that? And we get the letter and go, all right, they're talking about soccer. Who knows where that might lead? And we get really excited. And we should. 
should be glad. We should pray. We should have joy. Who's in your life? Who are the unlikely or the likely people? He says not only the Imperial Guard, but to all the rest. Who are the people in your life that you meet for tea to talk about soccer? Maybe God is working in your own life in that exact sort of way. Now, you're not Paul. You're not an apostle. Not everyone's called to full-time missionary work. I'm not asking you to go badger your neighbors. But at the same time, to know that God is working. God is advancing his gospel to all sorts of people. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, that's, I'm the unlikely one. Or I was the unlikely one and Jesus found me. Or you're here and you really can't even believe you're at church. Part of what this text is asking you to consider is maybe that's not a coincidence. Maybe the circumstances of your life, the situations in your life, the people in your life are all a part of God pursuing you. Because he loves you. Because the gospel of Jesus advances. Okay, you may say, okay, Ben, I get that God can reach anybody, that he can use any kind of circumstance. But again, I'm not Paul. I'm not a missionary. Not me. I'm not cut out for this. You need to hear the last point. Third thing. The gospel advances through all sorts of situations, to all sorts of people, and through all sorts of people. The gospel advances through all sorts of people. Look at what Paul says, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Two types of people, people who preach Jesus out of love and those out of rivalry. We'll start with the ones that love. That's easy, right? We can see how the gospel advances through these people. Uh, These people love God. They love Paul. They love others. And God uses loving people, right? It makes a lot of sense. Really quickly, who in your life do you know that loves you? Who really loves you? And who really loves the Lord and you can see the gospel flowing out of their life in a good way. Paul says, I rejoice in this. It encourages him. And there's a sense in which we have an obligation to recognize loving people and see them as a gift from God and a reason for rejoicing. And not just as a gift from God, but something that God is using to make the world different, to change it, to bring the gospel about. Well, that's an easy one. We can see that. But then there's the second sort, the sort who's doing this out of rivalry. And Paul says they're doing it to afflict me in my imprisonment. Here's this bizarre thing. These people are preaching Jesus with malice against Paul. They are doing this to hurt him, to damage him in competition with him. The notion is like these people are preaching Jesus to rub salt on the wounds that have been caused by Paul's chains, to point out the fact that he's stuck in prison and they can go out there and create their great ministry. And Paul just has to suck it up. Where do you see that? Most of you, if you've been going to church for a while, you've probably been part of a church split or some sort of division of some sort or a competition between some other ministry in your church. And so easily we can descend into cynicism, so quick to point out hypocrisy or people of my generation. We're very sensitive to this. If we see something on TV, we don't trust anyone, especially in authority. And the moment you see a false motive, you say, hypocrite, I dismiss him. It's over. I'm walking away. But Paul says, no, I rejoice. Why? Because they're preaching the gospel. Now, I want to make clear, when people preach a false gospel, Paul goes ballistic. He doesn't like that. If you add something to Jesus or take something away from Jesus, look through the letters of Paul. He, he takes no prisoners. 
But in this situation, these men are actually preaching the true gospel, but with false motives, which is so hard to imagine. And yet there it is. And you know it. You experience it. But Paul says, I don't dismiss that. I say, I rejoice because Jesus is worth it. Jesus's name being proclaimed and people coming to faith is way more important to me than whether or not these men have an agenda against me personally or trying to compete with me. What about this? You may, it's clear that we have to rejoice and, and not be cynical about others, but we also can't be cynical about ourselves. Now, some of you are very quick to criticize others, but some of you are very, very quick to criticize yourself. I don't want to speak into this person's life because I don't, I don't want to sound phony. I don't want to be fake. I have mixed motives. I have this weird agenda and I'm uncomfortable. And so I'm just going to back off and not get involved. God isn't going to use me. It's essentially what we're saying. Part of Paul's message to us there is get over yourself. You can't wait around until all of your motives are perfectly pure. If you do that, you will never act. If I waited until I had the best motive possible to preach, I said this this morning, I would be in the back of the nursery crying with the babies, right? This is not, I want you to laugh at my jokes. I want you to like me. I want you to pat me on the back and say, good sermon. Because I have mixed motives. But Jesus is good enough to use me anyway. And he's good enough to use you. He's committed enough to his own gospel to speak through you. Duplicitous, insincere, phony, mixed motivated you. Paul says when he looks at that, people preaching to afflict him, he says, I rejoice. I'm in prison in chains, but I'm full of joy. Why? Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Christ who entered into the worst possible situation on the cross. Suffering human torture and the wrath of God himself. To reach unlikely people. Unlikely people like Paul who once persecuted the church and Christ himself. Unlikely people like you. Unlikely people like me through the most unlikely means a death and a resurrection to bring about the salvation of people. It's almost comical at one level. But true. Paul rejoices when the gospel advances because the advance of the gospel looks a lot like the gospel itself. About Jesus. Coming to unlikely people in grace. What oh, a boring day. And nothing ever happens. As Kipper walks around the house, he continues to get toys out. He climbs up in the attic and a box of toys fall, falls out onto the ground. And at one point, a hat tumbles down the staircase. And another point, he's pulling out another box and a wand lands at the top of the stairs, teetering over the top step. And... At the end of the episode, there's a knock at the door and Kipper's friend Tiger comes to the door and says, come on there, Kipper. Let's go splash in the puddles. He says, okay. You know, Tiger, nothing ever happens. Do you know what I mean? Not, not really. And as he's saying this, he shuts the door behind him to go splash in the puddles. 
And at this moment is the point when Naomi and Benjamin, every time they've seen it, this is the point where they perk up and they get smiles and go, ah, because the music changes and the door slams and the wand is shaken off that top step and it goes down the steps and taps the hat. And as Kipper's still talking outside, you can hear his voice trailing off about how nothing ever happens and this day is so boring and nothing meaningful ever happens. Dozens of white bunnies start popping out of the hat. And Naomi and Benjamin go, ah. <laughs> Every single time. Why? What's the point? This whole day was, this seems so monotonous and so boring. Something amazing is taking place. Every step that he makes throughout that little day is setting the stage for something magical to happen. And Paul is saying to us, listen, the gospel is advancing in all kinds of situations. It's not arbitrary. It's not meaningless. Jesus is going about the work in ordinary life, in ordinary, boring, nothing ever happens life to do magical, wonderful, mysterious things as his gospel goes forward. It's true. Believe it. Even when you don't see it, have the eyes of faith to see and know that God is working in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a sense of humor about us and that you love us enough and are gracious enough to not only reach out to us through the through the gospel, but to then use us in the lives of others. We pray that you would do just that, that you would work in our lives and help us to see you reaching out to us in the midst of it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're good, that nothing is arbitrary, but that you were there and that you're working it all for our salvation. And though we wait in hard situations now, we know that one day you'll bring it to completion. That you, that you who began the good work in us will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus, the day that you return, Lord. And we look forward to that day with longing. In the meantime, help us to see your work and help us to believe. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.